Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. I'm excited to, to preach to you a message today entitled, Now I Know. Now I Know. It's going to be a little bit different today. I'm not going to preach kind of like I normally do. It's going to be a little bit more of a teaching today. So you, I'm going to teach you the Bible um, in, a, in a very fast way. I'm going to give you a big overview of a book of the Bible, um, but I'm hoping that it's going to resonate in, in everybody's hearts. And, and if you could change my confidence monitor, that'd be awesome. Um, and so Um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I going to say? It was important. <laughs> Anyways, let's pray. Father, as we uh, dive into your word today, Lord, I, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you always meet us in this space. And I just thank you, Lord, there's, there's moments, God, where they are defining moments in our life. I'm praying that today would be one of those. So speak in a way that only you can. And I just thank you. I may forget, but you always remember in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen and amen. Well, there was, a, um, there was a box that was sold, true story, a box that was sold at a garage sale. And, uh, and in this box that was sold at a garage sale, it was, uh, there was something very expensive on the inside, but the people selling it did not know. So on the inside, there was a certificate. And it was uh, a, a certificate that was dated back to 1917 for 625 shares, stock shares, in an oil company. This oil company merged with another company, and then that company merged with what we know to be Coca-Cola. So how many of you guys know this is a great dumpster dive? Anybody like dumpster diving? This was a great dumpster dive because the guy who found this was allotted, I think it still may be in litigation, but it was allotted 1.8 million shares for a sum total of 138 million. Shout out to the garage sale. So, so now, now, now here, here's the reality is these guys, the, the guys selling it, they, they didn't know how much this thing was worth. It was a huge win for the people that found it, but it was a huge loss for the people that lost it. And how many of you guys know they, they had a moment, I'm sure, where they said, man, if I, if I only knew. Have you ever said that? Man, if I only knew, if I only knew this relationship was going to go south, if I only knew how to fix my marriage, if I only knew what decision to make, if I only knew which path to take, which direction to go in, if I only knew what decision to make, where to invest, how to change if I only knew. Now, sometimes we say that uh, in a posture of regret. We kind of look back like, if I only knew, I wouldn't have sold that box. But sometimes we look in the, in the pre- we're in the present looking toward the future. Man, if, if I only knew what to do right now because I don't want to live with any regrets. And so, so I, I want you, to, I want you to, to live with the posture of now I know, not live with the regret of I wish I, I knew. And Proverbs in the message version, 29 verse 18 says it this way. People can't see what God is doing. They stumble all over themselves. Bless you. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. It's really hard to imagine more in any of our lives when you can't see. When you can't see um, from a, a direction standpoint and when you can't see what God is doing. When there's no vision when there's no life, 
when life kind of contradicts itself? Anybody ever been in a situation where you pray for one thing and the opposite happens? And you're like, man, God, so I guess this is a Romans 8.28 moment, right? You're going to work it out for good. But I don't. And, and, and so we, we have moments where we're overwhelmed with brokenness. Sometimes it's overwhelmed with the brokenness in our life, overwhelmed with the brokenness in people, uh, people's lives that we love. And sometimes we just look out into the world and there's just this overwhelming sense of, man, what is going on? And, and we can feel stuck. It's hard to imagine more when you're not hearing from God, when you don't know where to start. And that drops us right into the story of a man by the name of Habakkuk. And I'm going to use the Bible Project to help me illustrate this a little bit because we're going to cover a lot of ground in a short time. Now, Habakkuk was living in a time where injustice and idolatry, idol worship was just worshiping things other than the one and true living God. You could worship money. You could worship family. You can worship idolatry. You could worship or, or immorality. There's a lot of things you can worship. So Israel's in their final decades of the southern kingdom, and, and Habakkuk is, is a minor prophet. Most, many of you may have never even heard of him. He's in the Old Testament, and, uh, and I feel like, cool, like I could bring some life to Habakkuk. He don't get any love these days. Nobody, nobody like, preaches out of his book. But he addresses uh, not an accusation toward Israel as much as he addresses God with his own struggle. And, and the question that he asks, like many of us ask, is, man, if God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? Like, God, if you're really good, like, what is going on? So he, it's kind of a lament. It's kind of like he's pouring out his heart. He's frustrated. He's complaining. And he's drawing God's attention to injustice. And normally when we say that phrase, if I only knew, a lot of times it comes when we've lost control. Like, there's circumstance that is outside of our ability to control. Anybody been there before? And you're just like, I, I don't even know what to do. I, and then you look to the world for help, and the world can't help you. And then after the world can't help you, you end with the phrase, if I only knew. I don't know, like, God, what is going on? And so a lot of times when we're in that space, if you're like me, you can tend to resort to complaining. Like, man, God, like, what's up with this? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Why is all this happening to me? Like, it, it can be frustrating. That's what exactly what Habakkuk did. He starts complaining to God, like, how long will I cry out? How long? Like, why won't you listen to me? Don't you see, God? Anybody ever pray that prayer? Don't you see? He says, don't you see that the Torah is being neglected, meaning people are neglecting the word of God? He's like, don't you see the violence and the injustice? Like, we have corrupt leadership. Like, like it's just bad right now. And God, in, in all of his wisdom, responds to Habakkuk and says, don't worry, bro, I see it. And I'm raising up the Babylonians. Well, for Habakkuk, that is not a great answer to your prayers or your complaint. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And so God says it this way. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now stop there. Normally when this is preached, people are like, God's going to do something in your day. It's going to be amazing. But then we don't get to the next verse. Because God is going to do something amazing. But how God accomplishes that amazing sometimes is not the way we'd like. And so he says, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm raising up the Babylonians. What? They're ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards fiercer than wolves at dusk, and it just continues. Like the Babylonians are brutal, they're strong, they're powerful, and they're bad. So Habakkuk is basically saying, whoa, 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 Babylonians are worse than us. 
How does that make sense? Like, like they deify their power. Like, we may worship some idols. They think they're God, though. They treat humans like animals. They devour nations. And, and so he says, but I'll stand and I'll watch and I'll wait for God to respond to me. And so what does Habakkuk do? He says that he climbs up to, on his watchtower to stand at his guard post. Can I just tell you that Habakkuk, when he needed to hear from God, did not go to the couch. He went to a position of readiness. I'm going to go to the place where I'm preparing for battle, like I'm preparing for a response. I'm preparing for an engagement. It's a military term, just like a soldier would take its post. So he's in a posture of readiness, like, I don't want to hear, I want to hear what you're going to say about this, God. I got a complaint towards you, and I believe you're going to respond, and I want to make sure that I respond in the right way. And he says, so there I will see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So the Lord reveals to this, he says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. How many of you guys know it's important that the message is clear? He says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled, even though it seems slow in coming. Isn't it tough when God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. This is going to be a slow process, but I'm doing something amazing. And he says, so wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It's kind of like the Lord's return. Some people are like, man, Jesus is going to turn. It's been like 2,000 years. Like, is he going to come back? It's like, yeah, he's coming. Wait patiently. Babylonians ain't here no more. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. And then he's about to reveal. So, so right now he's saying, God, God is saying, listen, I'm sovereign. I know what's going on. Like, I, I, I got a plan in all of this. And then he reveals his will for Habakkuk. He says, but the righteous will live by faith. So look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And so, so, so the overarching picture here, I'm trying to paint a picture of the whole book for you in a very short amount of time. So, so he, he's got a word from God and God says, hey, there's a vision. Like, I'm going to... I'm going to fulfill this vision in an appointed time. It's not going to happen now, but what was God saying? God was saying, listen, I'm going to bring the Babylonians down. Like, they're going to whoop your behind for a minute, but I'm going to bring them down. And just because I use corrupt kingdoms doesn't mean I endorse them. Because all kingdoms, all nations are going to be accountable to God's justice. So God says, I'm working like I have a sovereign plan. And I have a revealed will. I have a sovereign will for you and a revealed will of how you're to live in this gap of waiting. And so God's sovereign will, he, we see very clearly God's promise. That God said, I am going to bring Babylon down. Now, sovereign just simply means ultimate. Like God has an overarching plan that he's weaving throughout the fabric of history that you and I can't get in the way of. We can't mess it up. We can't overpower it. But it can be a little bit tough, though, to know that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-present, that he's sovereign, he's ultimate. And it can be hard because that raises questions like, God, if you're all-powerful, how come you don't stop this? How come you let that happen to me? Why do you let evil continue? And it can be tough because sometimes God's sovereign will is revealed to us. Sometimes it's a mystery. Sometimes we, we have a portion and we understand a portion of God's sovereign will, but then other parts are a mystery. So we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that God has set eternity in motion for us, but the time frame we don't, we don't know. He has a sovereign plan, but we, it's still a mystery to us, right? 
And so, so get this picture that, that, that in his sovereignty, nothing takes him by surprise. Habakkuk's like, you see this? See what's going on in our kingdom? And God's like, yeah, I, I totally see it. it. It didn't take me by surprise. By the way, I, I have a plan I'm, I'm working in the midst of. This is sometimes we think we get ahead of God like we know more than him. Like, hey, God, do you see this? He's like, do you see? <laughs> like, I, I've seen for a long time. But, but, but it, nothing takes God by surprise, and we can't mess up his plans. Let me give you an example. The, the, the cross, the resurrection, that was planned for the foundations of the world. Like, God, God knew all of this. Is that hard to fathom? It is. But he set these things into motion, and none of, like, the resurrection did not take the Holy Spirit by surprise. Like, like Jesus dies on the cross, and the Holy Spirit looks at the Father and says, dude, do you see that? That was amazing. Like, how did that happen? Like, no, no, this is, God's like, no, this is, I, this is part of my sovereign plan. You look at the stars and the planets. I mean, think about the star of Bethlehem, that before the foundations or as the foundations of the world were being laid, God set that star into motion, that it would appear in its brightness and validity on that night that the wise men were looking up, the magi were looking up, being led by the star of Bethlehem to the birthplace of Jesus. Like God set all of that in motion so it would appear for such a time as that. God doesn't miss anything. God is sovereign over everything. God has set some things into motion, but it's kind of perplexing sometimes, and that can be a little frustrating and confusing because it's hard to understand, but it's also great. It's also very comforting because if I know as much as God knows, that's scary. If I know as much as he knows, then, I'm not, then he's not God. Can I just say this? If God can't contradict you, he's not God, at least not God of your life. Because a lot of times there's just things that we're like, we're wrestling with, but it brings great comfort because in the struggle, when I can't see and I don't understand and I don't know what to do, I can trust that he sees a bigger picture. See, see, as we look at God's sovereign plan, we look at the cross and we say, thank you. Died for my sins. I'm forgiven and alive. We praise you. We praise you, right? Like we're excited. The disciples weren't excited. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? You're messing up our life. We had something good going. And see, we're on the other side of that sovereign plan. They were in the middle of it. It was still hidden from them. And so what doesn't make sense to us in the moment doesn't mean that God is not working. And it doesn't mean that God's sovereign plan is, is not good. I mean, think about the crucifixion. They would have looked at it as this is the greatest upset in human history. And now we realize, no, this is the greatest moment, greatest victory of all of human history. And so God's sovereign will not just, it's not just that God has set things into motion and like he's kind of detached. No, it also, God's sovereign will also uh, shows and reveals God's heart to us. I mean, think about the cross and the resurrection. You know what that, they scream, they scream that you and I matter and that God sees our brokenness. That God sees our pain, our sickness, our, 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 our brokenness, our all. God sees all of it. And he says, that's why I set the plan into motion, because I love you. So the, the, God's sovereign will, it also reveals his heart. Remember, as Jesus was going through, uh, the Bible says in John chapter 4 that he had to go through Samaria. We, I preached on that a, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. And, um, and it said that he had to go through Samaria 
Because there was a woman at the well who had five husbands. She's living with another dude. She's broken. She's confused. She's hurting. She's at the well in the heat of the day because she has no friends, wants to avoid the crowd. And God says, I see you. And you matter to me. And then he rebukes his disciples. He's like, you guys are concerned about lunch. I'm concerned about this woman in this town. God's sovereign will also reveals the heart of God. And that's why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I understand the character of God. Because when life doesn't make sense and you don't understand the character of God, it's easy like Habakkuk to be like, so what's up? Where are you at? If you're so good. But when you know the character of God, you're like, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. So I know you're working. And I can trust you. So we see God's sovereign plan being revealed. And then we also see his revealed will. Like, Habakkuk, this is how I want you to live. Like, this is the plan, but this is how you're to live. The righteous will live by faith. See, God has a design for life. He has a design for marriage. He has a design for sexuality. He has a design for family. He has a design for finances. He has a design for career. He has a design for purpose. He has a design for eternity. He has a design for mission. He has a design for thinking. He has a design for decision-making. He has a design for dating. And some of the things you just don't, listen, when God has revealed it, you don't need to pray about that. Well, I know the Bible says we're supposed to be equally yoked, but I'm going to pray about that. (laughs) Well, yeah, you pray about it. You're going to be frustrated on the journey because that's not God's design. And so easily, like we know it, but we just don't think God's design works. We feel like what we know works because what worked for them is going to work for us. But we don't know they have tons of drama in their relationship because it's not revealed. But we think that, oh, no, it works for them. So it's going to work for us. And we we move outside of God's design in so many different ways. And then we end up like frustrated. Now, now you may may need to pray about God's revealed will if you need help in it. Because you may look and say, like, like, God, I know we're supposed to be equally yoked. But ladies, you may look at him like, but it's, he's so handsome. You know what I mean? Like, I'm struggling. So help me with your will. But you don't need to pray about if it's right or not. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says this. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That just sounds like a preaching, like sanctified, <laughs> filled. And a lot of times like, we say those words and we don't even know what they mean. We're like, Praise the Lord. I have no idea what it means, but sanctify me, Lord. Right? It just simply means to, to, to live set apart, to live holy. Holy simply means to live set apart, meaning we are living by God's design, and that is in complete contrast to the world. So people should look at us and be like, huh, you're a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? And so he says, and you should also uh, not just live set apart, but avoid sexual immorality. Now, this word sexual immorality is where we get the word pornea. It's pornea in the Greek. Pornea is where we get the word pornography from, but in the Greek, there's multiple meanings. So it's, there's a, several meanings here. It means, yeah, pornography. Um, that, that's not God's will for your life. Uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, that's not God's design for your life. Um, adultery, that's not God's design for your life. And so, so God's not hating, like up in the sky, hating on you. No, he's saying that's not how life is best lived. You live like that, you're going to get hurt. It's going to damage you. It's going to hurt somebody. And so he's like, no, no, that's not, that's not my will for you. He's like, that, that's not how I want you to live. He says, no, no, I want you to live in a way where you learn to control your own body in a way that's holy, set apart, and honorable. 
So God is not saying no to sex. God's just saying, hey, yes to it in the proper context. God's not trying to rob you from life. He's saying yes to true life. And outside of God's revealed will, if you try to live outside of that design where God says, this is the best way to live, the righteous live by faith, avoid sexual immorality, it leads to a life of frustration, pain, brokenness, hurt, pride. And God's like, I don't want you to do, like, live like that. I want you to be set apart in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. And so, so we're talking about God's revealed will. So another example, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. You don't need to pray about revenge. Just praying about if I should get them or not. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't need to pray about that. Like God clearly says, strive to do what is good for one another and everybody else. You may pray that God holds you back, but you don't need to pray about if it's right. Because this is God's will for your life. And then he says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is, this is tough. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't think that most of us believe that this, we, you can actually live like this. Like, how are you doing in these areas? Always, continuously, giving thanks in all circumstances. But God doesn't tell us something or call us to live a certain way that he hasn't empowered us to. Like, it's very clear. This is God's will for you in Christ. Now, apart from Christ, it's going to be really hard to live like this. But that's why the next verse is this. So don't quench the spirit. Yeah, like, this is my will for your life. But it's the spirit of God that dwells on the inside of every follower of Jesus that has given us the power to accomplish everything that God has called us to accomplish, to live every way that God has called us to live. God is not playing games. God is saying, this is my will. And listen, you may not be able to do it on your own, but by the power of my spirit, you can walk in this. In other words, if we don't walk in what God has revealed now, it's so easy to miss what's next. Like, a lot of times, we want to know what's next. Like, forget God's sovereign and revealed will. I want to know what's next for my life. We never say that, but we live like that sometimes. Like, I know you do because I'm your pastor, and sometimes I do. Because sometimes we just get so consumed with what's next, and we miss what God has put right before us. Like, like check this out. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 and 3. This, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, or this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. Huh. Why don't you just tell me now? Why do I got to walk down to the potter's house? Like, you're already talking to me. Like, what if Jeremiah would have stopped and said that, like, just tell me what's next? God's like, go down to the potter's house. Tell me what's next. Go down to the potter's house. Why? Because there was something that God wanted him to see. And God was going to use what he saw and speak what was next. The hard part is this, is even though Habakkuk was, God revealed to him, the righteous live by faith, it's really hard to live that way when things are getting worse. Like when things are not good, how do I live thankful continuously? How do I, I mean, maybe if things are bad, you might pray on all occasions, but when things are really bad, it's like you don't even feel like praying. 
like, man, I just, I, I'm, I'm losing hope. To rejoice always, yeah, and things are going good. But, but Habakkuk was called to live by faith amongst the five woes of Babylon. Unjust economics in chapters one and two. Meaning the, the, the rich just plummeting. I mean, they're, they're an oppressive, Babylon was an, an oppressive uh, kingdom. And so, man, what does that mean? It means that financially they're going to be hurting. Slave labor, meaning if you don't bow down to the way that we do things, you will be severely punished. And then, and then what do we have? Irresponsible leaders speaking about alcohol and sexual immorality, just leaders living without restraint. And this is where Habakkuk's called to live faithful. And to top it off, idolatry is supporting the whole thing. Like worshiping everything except the true and living God. So how does Habakkuk live by faith in the midst of the five woes? Well, he pays attention to God's sovereign will and God's promise that Babylon it will eventually come to an end. And he holds on to God's revealed will to say, but in the meantime, I need to live by faith in who he is and all that he's done and all that he's said. Are, are you... Are you you track it with me on that. And so some of you guys are like, man, that, that's great, but what about my tomorrow? That's great, but I, I, I mean, is this really applied to my life? Absolutely, it applies to your life. God cares about your life. God cares about what you care about. Whatever's stressing you out right now, God cares. Whatever you're afraid of, God cares about that right now. Whatever decisions you have to make, God knows. Whatever you're complaining about, he sees. Whatever next step that you're trying to figure out, how to take and the multiplicity of pathways that lie before you, he knows. When you're trying to figure out which way to go, he gets it. When you're like, should I do this or should, should I do that? God cares. So God's not like absent from your life. His sovereign will and his revealed will are given to us because he cares. And he wants us to live faithful in the midst of craziness. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5 says, with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. See, listen, God cares about your path. Listen, he knew the Babylonians were going to come because God's like, I've kind of set it up that way. I got a plan. But they didn't take him by surprise. They took Habakkuk by surprise. But God's like, no, no, man, I, I got a plan in this whole thing. And can I just tell you, your life is not taking God by surprise. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that you would be. He knew your name, the number of hairs on your head. And he says, listen, I know and I care. I care about what you care about. And you're like, okay, Pastor Matt, that's great. Like, I'm glad that God cares. And I know that I, I need to acknowledge him, but I'm still struggling. Like, what do I do? Because I need to know what's next. I need answers to this question. I need God to show me this. I think what Solomon is trying to tell us here is this, is when I'm walking in the ways of God, I start discovering the will of God. It's when I start to acknowledge God's revealed will to me of how he's revealed to us in the scripture. I mean, Habakkuk was waiting on like the post, like, speak, please. God has given us, God has given us his word, 66 books, a love letter to you and I, all about 
everything that he's created, the design for how we're to live, all of that stuff. And sometimes we look at it and we're just like, man, I just don't have time for this. But we have time to live in the struggle day in and day out. And God's like, man, I have so much more for you. And there's something about this. There's something about when we walk in the ways of God, I start discovering the will of God. When I'm uh, submitted to his sovereign will, when I'm acknowledging him in, in, in every area of my life, in light of his revealed will, all of a sudden that starts to shape your individual will. And God starts to make things way more clear. And so sometimes we just get consumed with what we care about. And God's like, listen, I care about that, but don't get consumed with that. Look about what I care about because I care about you and what I care about is going to work. It's going to be better for you. So I know your kids. I know your finances. I know your career. I know all that. But don't get consumed with those. Get consumed with me. And so I can show you how to live in the midst of all of those things as healthy or as dysfunctional as they may be. Like I want you to have life. And so, so some of us are like, God, speak to me. And God's like, I have. And I've said a lot. Like, just lean in. So there's a story in, in, the book of, in the book of Naaman, or in the book of 2 Kings, about a, a man by the name of Naaman. And uh, he's in a similar place. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's, uh, you know, a general for the, the king of Aram, and, and, and they're dominating Israel. And he's just living his best life. And then he gets leprosy. Or some scholars debate on if it was really leprosy, but for the sake of conversation, it was a skin disease. It was, we're going to say leprosy. And the point is this, is that it was something that, ready, was outside of his control. Like, I have everything, but I'm sick. And so what does he do? There's a, a little a Israeli slave girl that they had taken cap, cap, that they had captured, and she says, well, there's a, a prophet in Israel that can heal you. And he's like, what? You know you're desperate when you're taking advice from, like, a little slave girl that you captured. And so he goes to the king of Aram. The king of Aram says, yeah, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he sends a letter to the king of Israel, and, and uh, Naaman goes there, and the king of Israel tears his robes, and is like, is this a joke? I can't heal you, bro. Are you guys trying to pick a fight with me? What happens now? Not only is he out of control, but secondly, the world can't help. Habakkuk was looking at his current situation, out of his control, and the world can't help. It's corrupt. It's limited. And so what, what does he do? Uh, the king's frustrated, and then the prophet hears that the, Elijah hears that the king tore his robe, so he sent word to the king, like, why'd you tear your robe? And he's like, you know, explains the situation. He said, man, send him to me. So they send him to, to they send Naaman to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. This guy comes with massive amounts of wealth, like with a swag to him. Like, come on, man, like, I got you. Just let's do this exchange. Let me get on home. And this is what happens. It says this. It says, so Naaman, so Naaman, with all of his horses and chariots, stood at the door of Elijah's house. Then Elijah sent a message, messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman went away angry, saying, I thought you would surely come out and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Like he was looking for a grand display. Like you're going to insult me? You don't even come out, bro? You send him. You sent a messenger? You know who I am? I got lots of money. I'm powerful. Yeah, but you're 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 helpless. You're vulnerable. You can't. You don't have an answer. 
And so he says, man, aren't, aren't the, so he gets angry at this point. He's like, man, aren't the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have washed in them and been cleansed? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his, his servant was next to him and was like, hey, man, if he would have told you to do something great, you would have did it because you think you're awesome. But because he's asking you to be faithful to something so small that you think is ridiculous, you won't? Like, where's the sense? And, and, and so what, what's happening? He, he's, he's struggling. But finally, he's like, man, fine. One, two, this is ridiculous. Three, and God heals him. God heals him. And so all of a sudden, it, it's like, all, all of a sudden, it's God's, revealed will he's 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 faithful in and the the miracle happens he's transformed see when we're faithful and we are submitted to God's sovereign will when we walk in God's revealed will it begins to shape and it transforms our individual will I remember there was a when I first got saved I just noticed God was really changing my heart. Nobody was telling me. Nobody was telling me what to do. Like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do it. it was like, I just didn't want to do those things anymore. But more importantly than that, I found myself putting money in single mom's mailboxes that were a part of our, our youth ministry. All of a sudden, there was things I couldn't get away from. I saw the, the, the corruption in the world. I was kind of like, like Habakkuk. You just see everything. I see the corruption in myself. I, and I'm just like, God, I... I just can't turn. I used to be able to turn a deaf ear to that stuff. Now I just can't. It, 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 it just it torments me. It's like there's got to be like more. That, like people are hurting and suffering, and God was, God was changing me. I wanted to be in business. Like after I stopped doing illegal stuff, I wanted to be in business. I didn't want to do this. But I, I trusted God's sovereign will. I was walking in his revealed will, and he began to shape my individual will. And now all of a sudden, my will started to be what he willed, and here we are. And so, and so, so, so all I'm saying is, is that's exactly what happened. See, Naaman thought he needed this, but look what happens. He gets healed, and, and, and he goes back to Elijah, and the first thing he says is what? Man, thank you. Appreciate it. That's, you're amazing. He says, now I know. Now, now I know there is not a God in all the earth except Israel. See, naming what he thought he needed, it was so much more. He couldn't even have imagined how much more it was. And it didn't, it wasn't with a great defeat. It was being faithful to the revealed will of God and the simplicity of it. That not just led to his body being cleansed, but a revelation of what I thought I... Can I just tell you what you think you need to know? You don't even know what you think you need to know. But he does. And so Naaman's like, I thought I knew, I didn't know, but now I know. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when we get... when when. when there's a greater question of God, where do I go? What do you want me to do? Like, what is your will? I need to know, like, what tomorrow holds. I got... There's a much greater question than that. What if God gave you that today? What if God gave you what you wanted right now? What if he did that? 
See, I think the greater question is this. When I get there, if he gives you what you wanted, what type of person are you going to be in that place? Where's your time going to go? Where's your money and your passion going to rest? Is it all going to be in your individual will? Now I say, hey, I'm, I'm living my best life. Is there going to be any of this? It's like when I get there, what is my relationships going to look like? What is my attitude and my behavior? Is it going to line up with this? Or is it going to be something else? Because it's not just about a destination, and it's not just about a healing, and it's not just about God overthrowing Babylon. God is doing something in the midst of these men, saying, I'm trying to get you to see a much bigger picture. We want feelings, and we want formulas, and God says, I'm, I'm trying to get in a relationship with you that's real. I mean, think of the Apostle Paul. When we're living here, ladies and gentlemen, in his sovereign will and his, his revealed will, there's so much freedom in that. The Apostle Paul, this is how he lived. I trust your sovereign will. God, I know that Christ is going to return. I know you've set things into motion. You told me I'm going to suffer a lot. I've accepted that. And your revealed will is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul's just living his best life. He's, he's trying to preach the gospel in Asia, and the Spirit of God says, nah, bro, not there. He's like, really? Then he runs over to Bithynia. He's like... Because that would have made sense. Asia and Bithynia. Like for type A people, it was like a perfect progression. And we'll just keep going in order. And God's like, nah, that's not it. So he goes to Asia. The Holy Spirit says no. He goes to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says no. So he's like, fine, we'll go down to Troas. Goes to Troas, lays down. God gives him a dream about a man from Macedon saying, we need help. So he's like, we're going to Macedonia. It's a longer route, completely off our uncharted plan. And so you see the liberty in that, though? Paul's not wondering, like, oh, man, what, what move do I make? What, man, I don't even know. Should I do this? Should I do that? No, like, Paul is just so immersed here. He's like, I'm just going to try stuff because I already know I'm living. I'm walking in his revealed will. And if God doesn't want me to, to go there, I'm so tight with him, I'll just know. The Spirit of God's going to speak to me. You hear me on that? So we think about relationship with Jesus. It's gotten so diluted. But is your relationship with God to the point where you can walk? The Holy Spirit says no, and you're like, got it. And the freedom just to live your life rather than stress out, like, what is your will, God? What is your will? I don't know what your will is. What am I supposed to do? What am I to this career? I hate my boss. I don't know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and so, so, so what, what is this going to look like? So I would propose this. Let God's revealed will shape your current vision. Like, whatever it is you're chasing right now, let God's revealed will shape it. If you're like, man, it's right intact, then just keep running. But if not, let God shape it. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your complaint will turn into a cry. And it's different. So Habakkuk is living in the midst of this mess. Five woes, which is not unique because most nations will become Babylon. Like, like these five woes are... I mean, we can see that stuff in our day pretty easy. And God's answer to Habakkuk is the same to us as later generations. So what happens? Habakkuk has a complaint here, but now he's been, God revealed his sovereign will to him, that he has some things in motion. He says, this is how I want you to live. And he's been faithful. And all of a sudden, you see a change of heart. Now, all of a sudden, Habakkuk pleads with God, not, what are you going to do? He says, no, God, I know who you are. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, that's so much different. 
You see how like the relationship shifts to where are you? What are you doing? Like what? To, I know you. You're the God who parted seas. You're the God who overthrew Pharaoh. And we see um, this beautiful picture in chapter three of, of almost a poetic picture of when God steps on the scene against oppression, against his enemies, against injustice. It's like an earthquake and it's fire and it's power. And he, and, and it, and he gives this picture of, of the exodus of, of God crushing the head of the evil house of Pharaoh and setting his people free. And so what he's saying is there's going to be another exodus. And God is the God of the exodus, but it's pointing to the greatest exodus of all. That you will save your people and your, and your anointed one pointing to Christ. That there's coming a day when God's will, he'll defeat evil, bring all to justice, rescue the oppressed. Like this is all emotion. That this past exodus becomes an image of a future exodus. And he's like, you're going to do it in my day? Do it again. And so all of a sudden, the, the whole trajectory has changed. The posture of his heart is no longer questioning God. It's like, I know who you are. Because I've been meditating on your word. I've been reflecting on what you've done in the past. Do it again. And the result is what? Babylon's coming. Imagine you could see the, the, the soldiers. You could see the dust. And he's like, he's, he's, he's now like God is, is revealing and giving him this picture. This is going to be his reality. He's going to be living in the midst of a very difficult time. But how does he live now? He's living in light of God's sovereign will that God has revealed to him. Got some things in motion. I'm living by faith in him. The righteous will live by faith. I know who you are. So I, I'm, I've, I've lost sight of that here, but, and I have a cry in my heart. It's, not, it's, not okay, to, it's okay to cry out to God. Like, like, lament. Cry out to him. I don't think he didn't believe in God. No, he's, he's, at, he's searching for answers. But, but where that led him is, God, I know you. Ah, what was I? Do it again. You, you've been here before. This didn't take you by surprise. Do it you did it in that marriage, do it again. You did it in this relationship, do it, do, you, you've done it in this person's life, you've done it, do it again. And, and it comes to this culmination of not, not only is he living, uh, the righteous will live by faith, it's not a, like a uh, faith, like I just got to live by faith. No, he's living with hope and praise as Babylon approaches. Like, just think about that as he gazes out. Destruction is coming, full of hope, full of praise. Do it again. I trust you. And it allows him to live through a very tumultuous time. And he's a great example of the righteous living by faith. What is your Babylon? And what is God speaking in the midst? Of, what has God revealed? about your struggle right now? What does God say about it? How has he designed the things that you're struggling with? So let me, let me leave you with, with a couple of thoughts. If, if you're not sure, a good thing to do like Habakkuk did is withdraw. Got to get in the habit of withdrawing. Get away from the noise. Get a change of, of environment. Not on the couch, though. Don't go home and sit on the couch like, man, I'm just waiting on you. It's just waiting. No, no, get in a posture of readiness. Like you want to be ready. 
I'm listening. I'm opening up your word, God, every single day. I'm digging. I'm not just doing a little devotion. I'm like, I'm digging. I'm crying out to you. I see what you've done in the past, but do it again. Like, what are you doing? What do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in this situation? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to live? Because I want your sovereign. I want to be a part of that, your sovereign will. And I want to walk out and live your revealed will because your design is so much better than mine. So I need a place where I can watch daily get away. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now think about this. Nobody could replace him as the son of God. The demand was ever increasing. The crowds were getting bigger. But he never let that deter him from spending excessive time in prayer with the father. And he's our example. You need to know the word of God so you can understand the character of God so you can stand in the midst of Babylon. The righteous will live by faith in his design, in his plan. And they'll do it with hope and praise. And then write it down. Maybe there's a particular area where you need to, maybe, maybe you need to stop just listening for a random voice and you need to find a verse for an area that you're in and you're wrestling with and you're struggling and you need to grab God's word and you need to write it down. Be like, God, I need to look at this every single day. Because there may be some time between the answer. Maybe some, some, a season of waiting. Hey, Habakkuk, it's going to come, but there's going to be a delay. And you know what happens in that delay? Habakkuk's in the delay with all the chaos. You know, Thomas Jefferson sent in 1803, he sent Lois and Clark on, a, on an expedition to try to find out where the Atlantic connects to the Pacific. And he gave them a ton of money. They bought food, they bought supplies, but they spent so much money on ink. And people were like, what? Ink is not necessary for the journey. They're like, you're right. But it's necessary to mark the trail. And because of what they wrote down in their journals and how, what they wrote down about the animals that they saw for decades helped people navigate territory that they were exploring with great clarity and readiness. See, when you, when you write down what God is speaking to you, it, it narrows your focus. It allows you to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. It allows you to say yes to God and no to, no to this or to that. It, it, it limits your scope. You say, well, I don't want my scope to be limited. Yeah, when God is speaking, listen, don't go to the left, don't go to the right, man. Stay and focus on what God is saying to you. I'm sure Habakkuk plenty of times was like, I don't want to live by faith anymore. It's hard, it's, it's arduous, but he just stayed the course. Trust in you, you talked, you revealed will. I know what you said. I know, man, this looks bad. I don't know if they're, are you really gonna do this? But I'm staying the course. And then, and then we wait. We wait. What does that mean? A couch again? No, 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 no. We, we live faithfully. We live faithfully in our waiting. The righteous will live by faith. I love, oh, where'd it go? Something happened to my thing. Um, go to my last slide, if you could. Psalm 62, verse 5 says, and I paraphrase, I spent all my life patiently waiting on you, Lord, because my hope is in you. Because my hope is in you. So, so what does waiting mean? 
Exactly, exactly that. Waiting means we're, we're living in a posture of faithfulness to all that God has said, all that God has spoken. And, we're, and, and, and because he's our hope, like Habakkuk, we can, we can live in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the fight with hopeful praise. Because our hope is in him. Listen, if you try to live faithful, apart from your hope being in him, good luck. You won't have praise. You'll be back to number one. You'll be back to complaining because you've lost sight. You're looking to something else for your hope. You're looking for the circumstances to work out. You're looking for this to, to fix itself. You're looking, you're like, okay, God, I'm trusting you as long as this works. Tomorrow. Like, how many times do we do this? Like, it's been 23 hours. Still no answer. You ever gonna answer me, God? God's like, it's been 23 hours. God can answer in a moment, but sometimes he's, he sees a bigger picture. So we wait faithfully with our hope in him. And it leads to a life of joyful praise in the midst of our Babylon. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you catch this message, it'll change your life. Change Habakkuk's. The little prophet that you never knew about. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name. It's hard to imagine more when we can't see. But when we can get a glimpse of your sovereign will, walk in your revealed will, oh, we'll start to see so much clearer, God. You begin to shape our will, our hearts, our individual. You begin to shape everything. We want your will, God, in our lives. Help us to be faithful to what you've revealed to us. Let us not get sucked in the woes of Babylon. But help us to live faithfully. Even when we're in times of economic crisis, let us not lose hope. Even when we're in moments where leaders and people around us and people that we look to are caught in debauchery and wickedness, let us not lose sight. Lord, when we feel oppressed and people are hurting us and wounding us, and Lord, may we not veer to the left or to the right. And when idolatry is permeating the land, Lord, may we remain faithful with a cry that doesn't say, God, where are you? Or a complaint, but a cry that says, do it again. Part the seas again. Revive us again. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.